So kids leave for uh, their time of worship. Uh, this morning I welcome you. You'll find, as always, the friendship registers on the side off. You'll take them, fill them out, pass them along. When they get to the end, you can pass them back and see who it is that you're worshiping with uh, this morning. So, so welcome. If you're new to us, there will be some folks at the information kiosk um, where you came in to greet you. And so if you haven't made your way there, please, uh, please do that. So welcome this morning. You'll find a um, number of notices in the insert as well. Take your time when you have time to uh, read through that. See some important announcements concerning our Grace Kids, our children's ministry, uh, particularly our, our Mexico missions uh, team uh, will be meeting on uh, December 1st at 12.15 uh, after that worship service there on that Sunday. So if you're interested in going along in that ministry to um, Reynosa, Mexico, to work that week in the orphanage there, uh, please gather with them on that, on that day for information. Uh, all are welcome uh, to be a part of that particular trip. Uh, we have a ministry to uh, 20-somethings or so. You can see the information there. If that fits you, please respond as well. For women's ministry just coming up, it's hard to believe, but in a month, our Advent tea. So we're getting close to the Advent season. Um, and then uh, the angel tree ministry. You can see the insert there. Please follow. We've been doing this for a number of years, so many of us know how to do this. But if you're new to our church or haven't yet participated uh, in this ministry, uh, it's a ministry of prison fellowship, and it's a, an outreach and, uh, and a blessing we trust, particularly to families, kids um, who have a parent or two incarcerated. And so you can see how it is that we can bless these families during... Um, the Christmas season. So there's a tree out there. You'll see it as you go if you haven't seen it already. And you can get a tag and uh, fill out a card and and, uh, and take a packet so you can buy some gifts. You can see various other ways to give as well. We need the gifts back by November 24th. And the delivery will be on the, on the 7th. Uh, other ways to bless these families as well. So please um, take note and advantage of that. Welcome. So we come now to the scripture. Let me ask you, please, uh, to pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we come now to your word, and uh, it brings life to us. So I pray that it would do that work, that um, regardless of how we've come into this place and, and begun this time of worship, may we continue our worship now in a way that listens well, that speaks well, that uh, that understands um, So that at the end of this time, we know, God, that you will have been worshipped, been blessed. That is, things right and good said about you that um, cause you to um, be delighted in your people. And then for us, that we know that we've been with you so that we have real life and can live. This, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Judges in the Old Testament. Judges in the Old Testament, chapter 9. I just want to read the first six verses. We'll read some others as we go along. It's a really lengthy chapter, a really lengthy narrative that we have to get the whole of. But I just want to begin with the first six verses. Judges, chapter 9, please. You may want to open that and have it opened to you in whatever you have, a Bible there, a book, or some kind of electronic device. But to have it before you because we'll need these verses later on too. Judges chapter 9, please. This is the word of the Lord. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaal, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, Say in the ears of all leaders, all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you? that all 70 of the sons of Jerubbaal rule over you, or that one rule over you. Remember also that I'm bone of your, uh, I have of your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Berith, with with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house 
at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal, 70 men on one stone. But uh, Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar of Shechem. And then we say, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This is an interesting story. As it begins and as, as, as we'll see, one of the fascinating points here is we've been working our way through Judges and we would expect at this point to hear something to the effect, and we sort of caught it at the end of chapter 8, something to the effect of the people forgot God, God was angry, and, uh, and, and God disciplined them by bringing in someone from the outside, a nation, uh, a, f- a group from the outside to oppress them. The oppression got so great that the people cried out to God in misery. God heard their cry, sent a judge deliverer to deliver them from the oppression. And then uh, as long as the judge lived, there was peace uh, in Israel. You know, we're not there yet. <laughs> we're still caught up in something. Um, Abimelech isn't a judge that God has called to deliver the people. Uh, he comes from the inside and we'll see creates his own trouble, but it's different than how we've been, uh, led through this uh, book so far. I have to be honest with you, I was tempted to skip it for that reason and because it's just one of those difficult passages again. It's just one of those narrative passages that you read, scratch your head and say, what are we going to think about this? What are we going to do about this? And and, and on Tuesday when I was thinking that thought, uh, the other, another thought came to me and it was all scripture is God breathed. So I said, all right, uh, let's stay here for a moment more and uh, see what it is we can find. Two questions. As we come to this text, one, what does it say about God? If you go out on the street and you ask the question, who do you think God is? You'll get all kinds of answers. But the key question, follow up to that question, who do you think God is, is how do you know that? We ask the the, the next question, how do you know that? Uh, and we know that God create, uh, communicates to us, reveals himself uh, through nature in certain ways, uh, According to Romans 1, we know that he's communicated himself, revealed himself uh, perfectly in Jesus. And we have all that written down for us in a very special way in the scripture. It's God breathed. It's his book. And so we can only know what we know about God because the scripture lays it out for us. It must be revealed as creatures we can't really reason ourselves to the creator because he's greater than we are. He says, you know, my ways aren't yours. My thoughts aren't yours. And we should go, well, of course not, because you're God and we are not. And then we have this sin problem that even when revelation comes, the danger for us is that our, our sinful inclinations suppress the truth that, that even comes to us clearly. And so, so we need God at every turn to reveal himself and to work in us in such a way that we can actually hear it and know it and believe it. And so, so we realize that, uh, uh, we want to ask the question as we come to the scripture, what's this say about God? And trust that through it, through this word, God will reveal himself to us and his spirit will, will work in such a way that we can really hear it and believe it and that it will then inform and transform our lives. First question was to say to us about God. Um, the second question is, when and to whom do I tell this story? When and to whom do I tell this story? Now, remember, when I use the word story, I don't mean some sort of made up tale. I mean, something that occurred that now we have narrated, if you will, in the scripture. Uh, but, but when and to whom do I tell this story? Because we know that the Old Testament scripture has been given to us. We find this out in the New Testament uh, for at least two reasons. One is to warn us so that we don't make the same mistakes that those in ancient Israel made. And secondly, than to encourage us to give us hope. So the answer to that question generally then is we tell this story when and to whom 
people need to be warned. And when and to whom people need to be encouraged. And that is us all the time. We need both of those. And so we need to know this story so that we can, on the one hand, be warned at times and other times uh, be encouraged. I don't know where you fit today, probably somewhere uh, a little of both. And you need both a warning and an encouragement. Uh, but we trust in God's providence that he has us here this morning to hear this. Uh, it may not hit you today, but it might on Friday. So we'll just see uh, what God has uh, for us. Now, I read these opening verses in chapter 9, these first six verses. What we find here, because we've got to get the story, what we find here is that Gideon, the previous judge, the judge, judge that worked, um, God worked through so mightily through his weakness, that Gideon is, is, is now dead. So, as we had it in the end of chapter 8, things seem to be going south again in Israel. So Gideon's dead. We would expect a judge. We don't have one. What we have is Abimelech. Now, you might remember that Abimelech was one of Gideon's sons. Gideon had 70 sons uh, to many wives in Israel. And he had a concubine, a mistress, if you will, in Shechem, Canaan, a Canaanite woman, not an Israelite woman. And she gave birth to a son and he named him Abimelech. So this is that Abimelech. He is the son of Gideon and Gideon's Canaanite concubine. Parents, you can explain that to your children later today. Um, and and so this is uh, what we find here. Now, the question that Abimelech has now is who's going to lead us? Who's going to lead Israel? Who's going to lead the people? And in a sense, he says, well, then why not me? In fact, my name means my father is king. Now, you might remember that Gideon rejected being made king, but he named his son, my father is king. So I don't know if Gideon had a dynasty in mind or if this is just how Abimelech picks it up. But, but he says, why not me? And so now he strategizes in a selfish, very ambitious kind of way, strategizes on how he can be king. So he goes into Shechem, into these Canaanites, and he says, now, who would you rather rule over you? The 70 sons of my father, whose mother was an Israelite, mothers were Israelites. Um, would you rather one of those or all of those sons lead you or me? Uh, now, uh, here's my pitch. Uh, I have a Canaanite mom. I'm more like you than anybody else. So why shouldn't I rule over you? And so the people there in Chekhov go, that's a great idea. And then you can just imagine that Abimelech saying, but I need some funding. And they said, all right. And they give him, what is it, uh, all these shekels, uh, uh, pieces of silver, 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Barith, that is out of the covenant of Baal, out of, out of this uh, godless idolatry. And so he's funded uh, by godlessness. And so he goes and he, and he kills uh, 69 of the 70, it seems. One gets away, uh, and that one who gets away is Jotham. Now, we heard about him in the last incident, but we don't need to go back there, but just the fact that he is now alive. So he hires these ruffians to go in and do this work, and they do it, and now this one is left. What's fascinating is that these 70 sons and all are killed near or at the place where God first reveals himself to Abraham, who becomes Abraham. And he says, this land is to be yours. And just at that place where um, God has the people, when Joshua enters the land, to first worship. So this is just a dark story. Already, all these people killed, these bad men, uh, funded by the temple of Baal, uh, desecrating places that are very meaningful to the people of Israel. Jotham escapes. We, we think, oh, that should be significant. Uh, I 
I suppose. But again, what's interesting here is that the trouble isn't coming from outside of Israel. The trouble is coming from inside of Israel. And so then Jotham sort of takes a place as this one remaining son of the 70. And he, and he, and he gives this parable, this prophetic word. Take a look at um, uh, in verse 7 uh, of Judges 9. We have it. When it was told to Jotham, all of these, his brothers being killed... He went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim, very important place, and cried aloud and said to them, listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. And then he tells this parable, verse 8. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive, olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over trees? And the tree said to the and the tree said to the fig tree, "You come and reign over us." But the fig tree said to them, "Said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees?" And the tree said to the vine, "You come and reign over us." But the vine said to them, "Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees?" And all the trees said to the bramble, "You come and reign over us." And the bramble said to the trees. If in good faith you're anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. Uh, but if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. So he's saying, he's saying, what are you doing making Abimelech king? I mean, you could go to all these great trees that do wonderful things for us. And they'll all say, no, because I do wonderful things for you. <laughs> I can't stop doing wonderful things just to be king. So you go to the bramble. Now, the bramble isn't really a tree tree. Uh, the bramble is just sort of a thorn bush that doesn't isn't good for anything. In fact, in those days, they often caught on fire in the summer uh, because they were so dry. And 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 so the bramble's going. This is great. I never thought about being king over all the trees. If you really want me to be, I will be. But but if you don't, I'll destroy you. You kind of say, what are you talking about, Jotham? Verse sixteen. Now, therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, implied you didn't. And if you've dealt well with uh, uh, Jerubbaal, Gideon, and his house, and have done to him as his deeds deserved, parenthetically, you didn't. For my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian. And you've risen up against my father's house this day and killed his son, 70 men uh, on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant king over the leaders of Shechem because he's your relative. That wasn't very nice. Verse 19. If you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jerubah, Baal, and with his house this day, then rejoice. In Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech, the bramble. Doesn't say it there, but. And devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo, and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer. He's <laughs> a fraternity guy. Uh, and lived there. Because of Abimelech, his brother. I mean, he said that, but then he ran away because he said, I know what you're thinking about me. But, but see, that's, that's the point of this. What, what's really going to happen here? How's, how's, gonna, how's God going to deal with it? And is God going to deal with this? What's going to really, really happen here? And he says, you're going to be destroyed, uh, all of you. Then verse 22 says, Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. So you get for that three-year period of time, oh, we don't see anything difficult happening. It seems like everything is going well for Abimelech and probably all the people. And things are, 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 are really going, things are going well here. But then, in verse 25, you get a sense that there's some kindling. That is, there's a little fire brewing. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him, Abimelech, on the mountaintops. And they robbed all who passed by them along that way. 
and it was told to Abimelech. In other words, now the people are upset with Abimelech about his ruling them. And so they, they set this plan up to discredit him. And so they set ambushes against the merchants that are coming into his town. And they do that to hurt him in two ways. One is that he's being shown that he really can't protect the people after all. And secondly, he's losing a lot of tax money because if those people don't go into the, the cities and sell, he's not going to be able to collect the tariffs and the taxes uh, from them. And so... So uh, you can just get a sense things aren't well. Then verse 26. And Gaal, the son of Ebed, moved into Shechem with his relatives and the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. So now we have this guy who's moving into the place and the people of the city, uh, the men of the city are putting, putting confidence in him rather than implied Abimelech. Verse 27. And they went out into the field and gathered the grapes from their vineyards and trod them uh, and and held a festival. And they went into the house of their God and they ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. And so you get this scene again, this great parties happening and Abimelech comes up and they discredit him. Verse 28, and Gaal, the son of Ebed said, who is Abimelech and who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbaal, and is not uh, Zebul his office his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? Would that this people were under my hand, then I would remove Abimelech, and I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. And so he sort of throws down the gauntlet. He says, listen, who is this guy anyway? I should be leading you. He should raise up his army, and if he does that, then I'll go after him. In verse 30, when Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaal, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. So uh, Zebul is, is, uh, is, is uh, Abimelech's deputy, if you will. He's ruling over the city right now, but, uh, but uh, they're together. Verse 31. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly saying, Behold, Gaal, the son of Ebed and his relatives have come to Shechem and they're stirring up the city against you. Now, therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds to do. And so he says to him, you need to set an ambush. Abimelech, and you need to set an ambush against Gaal. And so get your men ready in the, in the, in the, in the hill country. And, and set them ready to come down the next day and ambush them. So, verse 34. Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. So it's four different groups. And Gaal, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city. And Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. So, so now you see Abimelech is all set up there. And the next morning, Gaal is, is at the gates of the city. And he's hanging around with Zebul. Zebul. Then verse 36. And when Gaal saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebul said to him, Ah, you mistake the shadow of the mountains for men. So he's saying, you're just seeing shadows. There's not really people up there. Verse 37. Gaal spoke again and said, Look, people are coming down from the center of the land. And one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. And verse 38. Then Zebul said to him, where's your mouth now, you who said who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despised? Go out now and fight with them. And Gaal went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him and he fled before him. And many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. And Abimelech lived at Arumah and Zebul drove out Gaal and his relatives so that they could not dwell at Shechem. And so, so here's this battle taking place. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, why in the world does Abimelech get the win? He's the skunk. He killed all his, his, he killed all his, his brothers. Seventy of them. Disgraced his father. Tricked the people of Shechem so he could be their king. How does this sort of favor come to him when the people of the city rise up against him? How, 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 how does he get to win? That doesn't seem like how this story should go. It seems like they should kill him. 
But then you say, but gals, no, you know, prize either. I mean, why does, why does, why does he even get to be in this battle in the first place? You kind of shake your head. I do. God, what's going on here? Where are you? In verse 42, on the following day, people went out into the field and Abimelech was told. He took his people and divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the fields. And he looked and saw people coming out of the city. So he rose up against them and killed them. And you want to say, Abimelech, what's the deal? Why can't you just chill? You defeated the big enemy. Can't you just go back and rule like you were ruling? Why do you have to keep coming after everybody? And you get the sense of this blood power, thirstiness in this guy, verse 44. Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city while two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day and he captured the city and killed the people who were in it and he raised the city and sowed it with salt. And when he did that, he said, this land will just be completely worthless from now on. But that was the very land where Abraham had worshipped God. That was the very land that God had given to the people of Israel. And when Joshua and the people entered the land, there was a very place where they worshipped God and now it was desecrated. He wondered, God, I'm not following. What's going on? Verse Verse 46. When all the leaders of the Tower of Shechem heard of it, they entered the stronghold of the house of El Berith. In other words, they're going to go to take shelter, to take sanctuary in the place where this false god Baal or Baal is being, is worshipped. So Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the Tower of Shechem were gathered together. And Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bundle of brushwood and took it up and laid it on his shoulder. And he said to the men who were with him, would you have seen me do hurry and do as I have done this brushwood or bramble, if you will. So every one of the people cut down his bundle and following Abimelech put it against his strong, put it against the stronghold and they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. This is no small thing. This is disastrous. This is horrible. We have no words to describe what this would have been like. But the words of Jotham come back and, oh yes, make the bramble of the king and see what happens. Be destroyed. But Abimelech's still walking around. You wonder, what's up with this? Verse 50. Then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city and all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in. And then they went up to the roof of the tower and Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and, and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. He's going to do the same thing there. You can only imagine. Verse 53. And a certain woman. It's fascinating. It seems like when the people were running to the tower for protection, this particular woman went into her pantry and got something that was very significant and very important for her, no doubt, a millstone. Uh, millstones were uh, common. Uh, it was about 18 or so inches in diameter, three inches thick, very heavy. She would use it to grind grain. Her husband probably got it for her as an anniversary present. Uh, I'm sure she wanted jewelry, but he brought, bought her the equivalent of a food processor. And so there it was. But she grabbed it on the way. So a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. We're going, okay. It it kind of just quiets it, doesn't it? You say, okay, okay, justice, justice, justice. Uh, Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, a woman killed me. In other words, still we see his pride. Uh, he knows he's going to die and he's still worried about his legacy in some way and he can't have it stained by the fact that he was killed by a woman 
And this young man thrust him through and he died. Verse 55. And you just feel all the air going out of the story. When the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. And he goes, that, that's it. That's it. What, what do we... What do we really get? Uh, what do we really get from this? And the question, at least in my mind, that's been happening is, where's God in all of this? What's God really doing in all of this? Now, it's fascinating. In this whole account, nowhere does the word Lord show up. L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that we have it translated that way in most of our scriptures, which is the name Yahweh, which is the personal covenant name for God that he gives to his people. He says, when you're with me, this is what you call me. This is how we relate together. I'm Yahweh. I'm, I'm your covenant keeping God. Nowhere is in this passage is that name used of God. But a couple of times, and I skipped over these for this moment, a couple of times we get the word Elohim, which is the common word for God, a good word for God, but, but it's a generic, if you will, word for God. For instance, in verse 22 and 23, Abimelech ruled over Israel three years and God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jerubbaal, Gideon, might come and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother who killed them and on the men of Shechem who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. Now, if we didn't have that, if we didn't have that revelation, and all we were doing is reading through the story, we would think that people are just making decisions, normal kinds of decisions that benefit them, and and the story turns out like this. But what we see, that glimpse, the revelation from Scripture, what we see in that glimpse is that that we're, we're learning that no matter what it looks like, God's at work. No matter what it looks like, God's at work. Even to the point of this head-scratching expression, he sent an evil spirit. God's even sovereign over the evil spirits. He uses them for his own purposes and good. And so we see when all this is taking place, God is behind it. And then in verse 56, after it's all over, we have this. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbaal. God was at work. God was at work bringing justice. We, we wondered, where's God in all of this? Well, he was at work. And at the end of the day, justice was, was done to Abimelech and also to the men of Shechem. Amazingly, in this one big event that took place, that was what it was like. God was at work. Now, theologically, the word is providence, that God's providence was at work. The Westminster Shorty Catechism, question number 11, Wonderful document. I had to memorize a good bit of it when I was a kid. Uh, The Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, question number 11 is, what are God's works of providence? The answer given, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Providence is God's most holy, wise, and, and powerful acts, really, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. And we wonder, how, how does God do that? How does God work in such a way that here we are making choices all the time? And they're real choices. And we're thinking it through. And, and we're evaluating. And we're saying, what's best here? What's not best here? Based on our own motives and inclinations and understandings of events. We're, we're making choices all the time. And as far as we know, and we would say, they're real choices. But at the same time, in the midst of that, God is ruling and, and governing all our thoughts and actions. 
And, and the question is, how does he do that? And my answer is, I don't know. Other than the fact that he's God. And I take from the revelation of scripture that he's able to do that. I, I can't do that. It's impossible for me to do that. Who are you? But he can. And he knows how to do that. So that we make choices and he governs over all things. <laughs> and everything works out his way, ultimately, even though that's also the way we're thinking it through and working it out as well. His will. Be done, you see. Uh, We have scriptures to that effect. Let me just read some. You don't have time to look all these up. Let me just read some. These are common ones you know. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him, we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Psalm 22, verse 28. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Proverbs 16, 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Daniel chapter 4. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You know, there are times in life when we ask the question, does God see what's going on? And the answer is yes. Can God do anything about it? And the answer is yes. Is God going to do anything about it? And the answer is yes. He is at work all about it. Will I ever see it? The answer is Maybe. Well, yes, you'll see it. Well, will you be able to discern the hand of God in all of it? Well, maybe, maybe not. Depends on a lot of things. But we trust, we believe that he really is at work in all of this. Tim Keller, a Presbyterian minister in New York City of some note, writes this. He said, God may be silent, but he was not absent. In what seemed like the natural course of events with Abimelech, God was acting in judgment. There was no lightning bolt from heaven, but there was justice. As Paul puts it in Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. God's judgment is not only reserved for a future day, it's also present reality another way of saying it is God can't be mocked God is at work and he'll glorify himself he'll reflect himself in his justice and we also know in his mercy we see the justice here because everybody was dealt with rightly at the end the men of Shechem for their treachery And Abimelech for his. So then I ask the question. To whom do we tell this story and when? Well, first of all, we tell this story to those who are like Abimelech and the men of Shechem going their own way. God never called Abimelech to be king. God never called Abimelech To kill his brothers. He went his own way. Oh, even under the sovereign hand of God, still 
He's responsible, Abimelech, for, for that. It was not God's calling upon him. Not the direction of God's precepts, his commands, and how we're to act. Thus, we're to be warned not to go our, not to go our own way. That's the question. Are you? Uh, we're also to tell this story to those who really are seeking to follow God, seeking to follow Christ. And yet it doesn't seem like anything's working out their way. Um, how do we understand that? Well, we understand that to go, God is still at work and he, he, will, he is at work. And uh, you continue, you need uh, to trust him. Um, sometimes we look around in the world that we live in and we realize that those who are not trying to follow the Lord, those who are even unbelievers, things, life seems to be going really well for them and not so much for us. You may have a neighbor that golfs every Sunday morning while you're at church and golfs really well. And you think, how can that be? Shouldn't he be judged? Uh, 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 those, at least those rounds when he should be, when he should be in church and thus such happens. It, it may be that, uh, uh, those that we know who aren't walking with the Lord are being blessed financially and yet, we're not, or in their health, and yet we're not. Their, their kids seem to be doing wonderfully well, and yet our kids, not so well. They, they seem to have a plan for their lives, and it seems to be going in the direction that, that they desire us. We're confused, and we wonder what really we should do with our lives. And, and we look at that, and we say, is that the way it's really supposed to be? Is God really at work? Uh, and the answer, of course, yes, God really is at work in all of this. There was a psalmist, and you know this passage, I trust, Psalm 73, who experienced this very thing in his own, in his own life. Uh, verse 1, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's what he knows to be true. But then verse 2, he says, but as for me, my, felt, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had clearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. If they have no pangs until death. In other words, everything goes well for them until they die. Their bodies are fat and sleek. I love that combination. Oh, that mine could be that. But fat and sleek, uh, uh, meaning healthy in this context. Uh, they're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. They, therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as, as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loft. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens. Their tongue struts through the earth. And therefore, this people turn, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked always at ease. They increase in riches. In other words, everything seems to be going well for them. And then in verse 13, the psalmist all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocent innocence for all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. He says, listen, I, I, I've lived this way and it doesn't seem to have gotten me anywhere. Um, Providence tells us God is at work. You might not see it at the moment the way you think you should see it. But God really is at work. J.I. Packer, in a nice little book called Concise Theology, puts it like this. He says, the doctrine of providence teaches Christians that they're never in the grip of blind forces such as fortune, chance, luck, or fate. All that happens to them is divinely planned, and each event comes to a divine summons to trust, obey, and rejoice knowing that all is for one spiritual and eternal good. Again, providence teaches we're never in the grip of blind forces such as fortune, chance, luck, or fate. All that happens to us is divinely planned and each event comes to a divine summons, God calling us in the midst of the situation to trust, obey, rejoice, knowing that all is for one spiritual 
and eternal good. The, the psalmist of 73 says, I finally got it when I saw them in the sanctuary of God. When I saw the godless before God, I realized, okay. And then when I saw myself there too, that he would bless me ultimately. So, if you hear the story and you realize I'm just playing games with God, I, I, I'm just going through the motions, I, I, then be warned. And if you're living your life in such a way thinking, you know, I, I think, you know, I know I sin and all that and I, I know I'm not always faithful and I know my flaws but still I'm, I'm, I'm living in such a way in covenant with God trusting him as I can and, 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 and living this out then be encouraged because even if life is difficult at the moment know that God is still at work and know that you did trust him and obey him and rejoice because you'll be blessed One more thing. This isn't the end of the story in, in Judges. I may feel like it. I may feel like, oh, now what? Uh, what do we do now? It seems like half the cities are burned and a lot of the people are dead and there's no one to rule at all over, over Israel. This problem that arose from within now has seemed to destroy Destroy everything, and 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 the people don't even cry out at this point. It's it's they're 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 mute. It, it's almost like, what do we do? Uh, they don't cry out to God, but, but but God, in His graciousness, still sends another judge, and then another judge, and for the next forty-five years, there seems to be rest and peace in the land. Chapter ten. Verse 1. After Abimelech there arose to save Israel, Tola the son of Puah, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar. And he lived at Shemir in the hill country of Ephraim. And he judged Israel 23 years. And then he died and was buried at Shemir. And after him arose Jair, the Gileadite, who judged Israel 22 years, and he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. They had 30 cities and called Havath Jair to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Kaman. Now, it doesn't say everything was at rest, but that's the formula that the uh, narrator uses in order to tell us that things were at peace. Does that remind you of anybody? On the one hand, it may remind you of yourself that you need to be delivered from yourself. <laughs> your own selfishness, your own ambitions that are ungodly, your own ungodliness, all of that. Going your own way, you need to be delivered. And, and yet you know you can't do it. And, and then doesn't it remind you of Jesus? <laughs> we didn't ask for him to come. But he was sent by the Father to deliver us. Utter and complete and perfect grace. How does the apostle put it in Romans in chapter 5 and verse 6? For while we were still weak, at the right time God died. I'm sorry, at the right time Christ died. For the ungodly. One version puts it. While we were yet. Sinners. Yes. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person. One would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this. And while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. See. see the, the people were devastated. They, they, didn't, they didn't even know what they needed. They, they didn't even know how they were going to get on the next day. And, and so God did though. And in his kindness and his grace to them, sent these judges. <clears throat> and after this horrible three-year period, everything was devastated and the people were utterly at fault. God still sent them 45 good years. 
That's God, you see. That's what that tells me about him. He's a God of grace and a God of mercy. Oh, yes, a God of justice, but a God of grace and a God of mercy. And he pours out his grace upon us because he pours out his justice upon his son that we may live. That's the story to tell. Let's pray, Father. That is the story to tell, the story of Jesus, this one who came for us and gave himself for us. We don't deserve his coming. We didn't even ask for it, but you in your, in your wonderful grace to us sent him. Do we sit left to our own devices? They would have destroyed ourselves. Going our own way, there's nothing there but destruction, hell. But you sent your son to deliver us. He did it by taking our sin, its guilt upon himself, paying for it, giving us his righteousness that we may live. Thank you. May we dwell upon that at every moment in time that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also, along with him, give us all things? Father, many of us on this day are going our own way, perhaps. Catch us up short with that. Show us the end of that so that we may turn to you. Father, some of us are going through times and we scratch our heads and wonder, God, where are you? I've been calling out for you. I've been seeking you. I've been living in a way that really, God, I thought was pleasing to you. Oh, I've confessed my sins. You've forgiven. But I'm walking with you and covenant with you and yet, All of these things are taking place. Where are you? And and I pray this story will remind us that, yes, you're still at work. You are with us. While we may not see it at the moment, we will see it. Grant us hope. Encourage us. God, that we may walk with you still. And this I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.